Oh, man, this is going to be screwed up. It's 6 o'clock on the West Coast, 9 o'clock on the East Coast of America. It's, uh, let's see, 2 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's eking its way, kicking and screaming to 1974. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. And when I get older, losing my hair many years from now, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Well, today, because I'm always honest with you, I'm 64. Oh, man. I'm so freaking old. The good news is I feel like I'm about 42, maybe. So, anyway, yeah, happy birthday to me. Luna Amethyst, welcome in. Sorry you haven't made it to the stream. That's all right. We completely forgive you. Welcome to our friends on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Rumble.com, and Twitch.tv. We have a very special guest coming up in the first part of our show tonight. So, we're going to get to that in just a bit. Uh, right now, we're going to get to this important thing. Miko update. And that is a Miko update. Uh, Miko had a great time today. She, we took her to the dog park this morning. Uh, I spent most of my birthday day uh, entertaining Miko. So <laughs> we met lots of great dogs, had a great time up there at uh, City Park in Bandarutama, and uh, met a lot of brand new Shibas. And Miko is fascinated by big dogs. I don't know why, but there was a, uh, what is that dog that looks like a German Shepherd, but it's even bigger than that? Not a Mastiff. Maybe it is a Mastiff. Anyway, there's one in our neighborhood, and she is fascinated by that dog. And today at the dog park, there was a huge husky, beautiful husky, and she couldn't get enough of this husky. She loves big, big dogs. So she gets along well with all kinds of dogs, but yeah. Um, bigger dogs in particular she's uh, she's amazed by so uh yes coming up as we uh as we told you we've got uh we've got um sticking flavor cubes in your butt <laughs> cannabis the latest hopeful cure maybe for the virus and uh we'll get to some of that other stuff and if we have time we'll read another part of the chapter of uh, of tom sawyer um but right now, we are going to turn our attention over to an amazing guy, and uh, his name is Darren Chow. And Darren Chow, I, I don't know if you like this or not, Darren, but he's known as the ostrich guy. And I, 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 <laughs> I got to say that only so that people can relate, I think. Uh, Darren, you're on live. Welcome. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jay. Happy birthday. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate that. Um, if you if you don't yeah. if you don't know, Darren is a, there was an ostrich that got loose on the federal highway, and it went viral. It was yep all over the news, and this crazy guy is the guy who owns the ostrich. How is she doing, by the way? <laughs> Um, ostrich is doing fine. She's back on the farm. Uh, she's back on an ostrich farm and she has become a, 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 a local celebrity. Actually, she has become an international celebrity. I still get people from all over the world messaging me, asking me about her and everything. And, um, but she's doing fine. The MCO has been uh, given her a lot of like private time. Mm. Uh, we still get um, inquiries for her to attend events and introduce her to the kids and educate people what ostriches are all about. But um, yeah, um, ostrich is back on the farm. She, uh, have, she has a special VIP area all to her own. Nice. She gets to so socialize with other ostriches. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it's just that a lot of the public areas have been closed for so long. Um, but she's getting, she's, she has several sponsors and she's well taken care of. 
great. And I think a big part of what you just said there that's really important and critical and a nice bounce into what we're here to talk about really is that it helps to educate uh, people, kids and, and adults about ostriches and to, to teach them, uh, not just to entertain. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. you started uh, a bit ago uh, something called the Chrysalis Project. And yeah, we started we started in um, uh, October last year. Uh, sorry, sorry, October two years ago. Ah. So the Chrysalis project has been started for about a year plus a few months. Uh, it's January, so it's a year four months. We are coming to one and a half years old. Just about. Wow. Um, tell us a bit, if you wouldn't mind, about the Chrysalis Project, uh, what, what, the, uh, what it is. Um, and by the way, while you're talking, well, I'm going to cut away to uh, some of uh, the pictures of some of the stuff that you guys do. Yes, please. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. um, we have a wonderful, wonderful benefactor that does not like to be named. He's not too, um, um, he, he is a wonderful benefactor, but he just doesn't want the attention or his name to be mentioned. So I'll just leave it as a wonderful benefactor okay. that um, realized that urbanization has to go hand in hand, uh, development and urbanization has to go hand in hand with um, um, sustaining the native biodiversity and sustaining the native ecology. We cannot just clear the land entirely and develop and develop and develop and introduce native, uh, sorry, foreign plants that are not native to the ecosystem or the biodiversity. Um, so these wonderful people, they built a property, but they kept all the large trees, all the large botanical specimens on it. But um, they realized that that wasn't sufficient. Uh, it wasn't sufficient to sustain the native biodiversity and the ecology and everything. So I was engaged. I was called on to bring back the native biodiversity and all the specimens that were there before the development back to the property and to use the property as the design part of the property, even as a refuge for this biodiversity to come and live side by side with humanity, uh, with urbanization, development and everything. So it's very experimental because we are doing this right in the heart of uh, a cosmopolitan metropolis right in KLCC. It's very, very, very experimental. Uh, no one has attempted something as ambitious as this before. Um, so we have had a year uh, cracking at it. And good news is the butterflies are back, the birds are back, the squirrels are back, the civet cats, even the civet cats are back. Wow. So we have got um, um, fruit bats flying in feeding on our feeders at 7.40 p.m. every evening. Um, we, we see butterflies um, on the property on a daily basis. Birds, um, everything is coming back. It, it's unheard of for a, for a commercial property in Malaysia to have attempted such a feat as this. So, and we've had a year of it and yeah, I've had a lot of interns volunteering, getting work experience done. Uh, we have a lot of volunteers come in as well. Um, and we've been doing a lot of workshops for the community to educate them what we are doing and how they can participate. I know you're, you're very, very interactive with kids and, uh, the, the, and what better time to get them started to learn about uh, the mm. ecology of systems and things and then, then when they're young. Yep. You, uh, you, you, you put on these workshops. Now, now these are held where? Uh, they're held at, on, the, on the property itself, mm -hmm. on site at the property itself. Um, it's at the link KL. 
Okay. Uh, the address is uh, 360 Jalan Tun Raza in KL. And it's right in the KLCP, the Kuala Lumpur City Center District. That's and, uh, the pictures that we're looking at now that you had sent me are, are from the property there at the link? Yeah, from the property there. And that's the workshop that they're conducting. And we're teaching kids what we're doing and how to identify native host plants and to protect the plants. Because the native host plants don't look very landscape and pretty and attractive. So the landscape gardeners tend to remove native host plants, throw it away and replace them with foreign imports that are prettier and easy to maintain because they have no natural pests. Whereas mm -hmm. the butterfly caterpillars need these host plants to feed on. Right. And one, they're not pretty. Two, they look that they are pest ridden. But that's the, the, the conception we have to overcome. That's the conception we have to sort of get over um, to understand that if you remove the, them, these host plants with these leaf-eaten holes, we won't have any pollinators left. We won't have the butterflies or the bees left. Mm. So that's why these are so vital. And what we do in the workshops is we explain to the kids it's all interconnected. It's a holistic approach what we are doing to integrate the entire system of the ecosystem. Um, from host plant to the pollinators to the fruiting plants and um, all kinds of plants rely on these butterflies and bees as pollinators and they're crucial to the ecosystem. You know, people, you're, you're so right. I mean, people, they bring in uh, the odd foreign uh, non-native plants because they're pretty, uh, but they, they just don't understand the concept that the, uh, the, the fauna <laughs> eats the flora uh, that grows here, you know? So, um, and um, if... something is, I just need to excuse for a very quick minute. I'm okay. so sorry. No, that's Can you right. go on for a Yeah, minute? absolutely. <laughs> uh, the pictures that you're looking at on screen now are from some of the workshops that the uh, uh, the Chrysalis Project uh, does. They've been doing that for, uh, what is there? I think a year and a half now. And uh, you can sign up. Look, I know that we have a worldwide audience and we've got folks in the US, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, India, all over the planet. Uh, so by all means, you can check out uh, their Facebook page, which is uh, the Chrysalis Project MY. And uh, like and follow over there. You'll get updates and you'll see more about uh, everything that's going on with the Chrysalis Project. Oh, and uh, you, you can- very my was. No, that's okay. Up yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was just uh, explaining uh, how people could uh, at least help to support you, even if they're not in Malaysia. Uh, sadly, if you're not here, I guess you can't really attend the workshops or have your kids attend them. But uh, you can always, you know, the Internet is worldwide. So you can always check out the uh, Chrysalis Project MY over on Facebook. And you have uh, an actual uh, website, too, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, the website, unfortunately, is not up. Not up yet. Okay. Yet. We have some problems with the website, but we, we have an active Facebook mm -hmm. and we have a WhatsApp hotline as well. Ah. Um, just on the Facebook, um, we can be contacted uh, via Facebook, the chrysalisproject.my. Okay. And uh, again, most of your workshops, it, they seem very hands-on from the pictures that we're looking at. I mean... Kids are playing with bugs and butterflies and snakes and all kinds of stuff. Cre creepy things yeah, that uh, I, I would not want to venture myself, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, um, two things. Um, I've had parents that come in and the most rewarding comments that I've received so far is, um, I know my kid. I know my kids. Um, they cannot sit down for three hours. They cannot sit down or attend classes, a class for three whole hours. I know that they do not have uh, this kind of long attention span, but um, the parents came in and that attended the workshop to the kids. They said, one, wow, it's so intense. 
and said, what do you mean? Um, it's so hands-on, the kids get to touch, they feel, they get to pick things up, they get to feed the insights. It's a whole new learning experience, the interaction of learning and seeing and feeling, smelling, touching, and everything. It's a very hands-on, very interactive workshop. And they were so surprised that their children actually sat the entire three hours down without getting distracted or wanting to go somewhere else or do something else and everything. Um, and yeah, I'm, this is... I'm guessing when it was over, they probably wished it was longer, right? Sorry? I said, I'm guessing when it was over, they were probably wishing it, it would go on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we have a lot of parents that love us as well. They treat us like a um, babysitting center on the weekends. Because our workshops go on from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Right. They can drop their kids off with us, go shopping, get a coffee, get some quiet alone time, rest time, a glass of wine or two, and come at 5 p.m. and pick them up. Right. And the kids are exhausted and had a very engaging uh, wildlife ecosystem educational experience. Yes, the, um, the, and word gets around and the Russian community and the Australian community, they have these um, family groups, um, Russian expatriates in Malaysia and Australian expatriates in Malaysia. And they keep sharing us on their, um, on their WhatsApp groups and their embassy groups. And we've been getting a lot of support from the embassies and the international schools in the area as well. That's great. Now you've got a, a really special event coming up. It's called an Afternoon of Gratitude. What is what is that all about? Okay. Um, <clears throat> um, the project uh, that we've been running and that we've been, I've designed and running, it's an experiment project and it's showing some success and the community loves it and we are seeing butterflies and everything. But because of MCO, because of uh, all the lockdowns and all the um, social distancing, we have not officially launched, we have not officially like launched a project. So um, this an afternoon of gratitude event, which happens, is happening, which is going to happen on the 22nd of January, coming Saturday. Um, uh, we are releasing, we are attempting to release uh, about a thousand plus captive red butterflies wow. back to the environment. And we have planted enough host plants over the last year to sustain the caterpillars and the host, uh, food plants to feed them. And we hope that they are already around the property on a daily basis, but we hope to grow a larger population of them. And this is what I like about my benefactors as well. Um, I have asked them to come and officiate this event, sort of like, you know, say a few words about the project, why you're sponsoring this project and why you want to do this. But again, they do not want to be named and they want to be behind the scene and they say, they say to me, we are doing this for the children. We are doing this for the community. And we are doing this for the future. Um, the VIPs of the day should be kids, not some corporate types, not some benefactor, money type people. Wow. So, um, what, what, how refreshing. Well, and, and so, what a different, what a different attitude than a lot of these folks who yeah, just yeah. seem to be in it to get their picture in the paper. That's exactly, wonderful. exactly. So, yeah. This event, right? It, it, it's going to be weird. It's going to be like, it's not your traditional social media or even a, a press release, press conference type. Nothing like that. You know, um, it's a very laid back unofficial, we're going to release butterflies, kids. Um, I invited uh, Beacon House early years right. and Trinity kids as well. They're going to come, lots of kids are going to be there. They're going to release butterflies. 
back to the environment. And we're gonna give them a little mini workshop and teach them how important pollinators are. Without pollinators, we're gonna lose all the botanical life forms from the planet. Once we lose this, humanity cannot survive without all the trees and all the plants giving us, giving us oxygen and giving the planet oxygen. And we're already creating so much carbon dioxide, carbon footprint. So yeah, um, it's a big, very, very refreshing, very revolutionary change that's happening. And, uh, and I'm excited, I'm super excited. Yeah. That's very cool. And I, I mean, we, we live in such a, a green jungle environment, uh, the parts that haven't been chopped up and cut down anyway. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, if, if there was ever a biodiversity uh, definition, Malaysia certainly ranks way up there for that. So, uh, yeah. It's, it's, we, uh, we, we are recognized by UNESCO as we have one of the, I think, top three, if not top five, richest um, biodiversity hotspots. We have Borneo and West Malaysia. We have the oldest rainforest in the world. Right. And we're just not taking really good care of it, you know? Yeah, people, um, people don't for stop for a second to kind of appreciate exactly what we have here in Malaysia. Yeah. We don't... They, 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 I, I, I feel that it's all about education and about getting the message to more people, getting across the message to more people. If the masses are aware that Malaysia, we own one of the top five biodiversity hotspots, or top three even biodiversity hotspots in the entire world. Why are we still um, allowing permits for logging, deforestation for agriculture? We need to relook and retain agriculture. We cannot keep on clearing more and more land for uh, urbanization and agriculture. Um, rainforests are the oldest in the world. We, we, we own them. It's so valuable. Um, it's not only valuable to Malaysians, it's valuable for the rest of the world, for the rest of the planet. Every citizen on the planet, um, we owe the rest of the planet to preserve it. Well said. Uh, if people are interested in specifically this event next Saturday, right? 22nd? Yes. Uh, if, or, or in general, want to know more or get their kids involved in the Chrysalis Project, uh, how, how do they do that? Okay. Um, I will give you the number. I, if I remember it correctly, I think it's zero double one six three one three three seven double eight. This is our lab, our laboratory WhatsApp hotline. Um, please don't call. Drop us a WhatsApp. We'll get back to you ASAP. Alternatively, um, go to our Facebook page, verify the hotline. Uh, I think that number is correct. Um, zero double one six three one three three seven double eight. But it you is can listed on your what, Facebook page. It is listed on our Facebook, the official contact number. Okay, and I've got um, the link to that in our show notes tonight, so people can click directly okay. on the link in our our show notes tonight. Okay. So. Yeah, you, you can contact us there. Tell us if you want to come for a visit or you want to attend a workshop, how many kids you want to bring. Or if um, I've had adults that... I, I, I don't have adult workshops per se, but I've been invited by many groups to give talks, to teach people and tell them what we are doing and how they can help and join us and volunteer and participate. Um, so we're officially one year plus and we're starting to see some results. We have a monthly biodiversity audit and the audit started with very low numbers of species that are coming to the property to feed or use it as a refuge. And it's constantly increasing. We are seeing more and more animals coming to the property and integrating with the property. They're treating the property as a refuge and rest area. 
they migrate, they come by, they feed, they drink some water, they go off. Some make it their home, permanent home, and they stay with us. So I think properties, we, we most properties in Malaysia, assets like big commercial shopping malls or office blocks, they don't have somebody integrating a part of native biodiversity into the building. And I think what they're doing is very, very revolutionary and it's working. And we just have to keep on educating people and to tell them it can be done. It can be done. And it would be nice if your building is animal friendly and native biodiversity friendly. What a cool idea if we could all uh, kind of follow that. And that is, again, that's the link on uh, Tun Razak. That's uh, that's the link on uh, on Tun Razak, John Tun Razak. Yeah, it's just a link. That's uh, L the link. It's spelled L I N C, right? I N C. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's not the L I N K yeah. link. <laughs> so you, you need to Google the link. Yes. Right. And again, if people are are visiting the link itself, uh, they can always pop in or stop by. Uh, you can. the The lab is open to the public. Okay. You can come into the lab and talk to our staff, uh, talk to our ecologists and biologists, and they'll explain to you what we're doing. Um, oh, I forgot. Another cool prototype that uh, we have done. It's not first in Malaysia. I believe this is the first in the world. First in the world. Um, what I have built at the link is... Tank, terrarium tank, and we can simulate the microclimate of an ecosystem anywhere in the world in real time. Um, meaning, if I put a sensor in a jungle in Nicaragua right. or or Cameron Highlands or Genting Highlands, the humidity there is different. Uh, the temperature there is different. The amount of lighting the animals receive is different. Um, so what I can do now with this prototype tank is I put my remote sensor in the jungle and it's powered by a solar panel and a battery backpack. So it runs remotely in the jungle. It collects all the environmental data, temperature, humidity, light intensity, if there's a thunderstorm or lightning storm, if there's fog or mist, all this data is bounced into the cloud and then bounced back to our lab. And our lab replicates the controls to make, uh, replicate this micro climate in our tank and the link in real time. Now, uh, why did we want to do this? It's an experimental prototype tank, but it's working. It's working very well. Um, why do I want to build this tank? Um, 20 years back, I'm not sure if I shared this story with you before. There was this often dugong calf that uh, I was part of on the rescue mission. We rescued this often dugong calf. Her name was Putri Kapas of Pulau Kapas. I, I christened her Putri Kapas in line with how we um, name our dugong carcasses that we found and we took back to University of Malaya for necropsies and everything. Mm -hmm. According to the location, which is like Tabral, most of the dugong carcasses we found were in Tabral. For so those, they were named either Putra. For those who don't know what a dugong is, can you kind of explain that? It's like a manatee. Uh, a manatee has a, a, a um, it's a very close relative of the manatee. Okay. Um, they just have different shaped tails, but they're very close relatives. They're also known as sea cows. They're vegetarians and they're sea mammal. Right. Um, they graze on sea grass and they're native to Malaysia as well. Okay, I don't have a picture. Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. Not a picture. <laughs> All right, so, sir, I, go on. That showed earlier, there was a picture of me feeding that lost uh, Putri Kapas dugong. 
the mm. black and white picture that was you shared earlier. Right. So that, that that's the picture of a dugong. Anyway, um, come back to the uh, coming back to the tank. Mm. The that dugong taught us a very valuable lesson. We didn't anticipate, and we didn't um build have or have a facility for rehab rehabilitation and rescue. We did not, we were not, we were certainly not equipped at that time. Mm -hmm. There was no facility in Malaysia. We didn't have a marine rehab, rehabilitation, rescue program or facility anywhere in Malaysia. So it was so sad that when we had to rescue the dugong, we had to makeshift a hotel swimming pool temporarily to keep her and house her. So that motivated me to think, what if we need to rescue animals in the future? Let's say we have an accident, we have an uh, ecological accident, like a oil spill or a contamination from an accident, like a nuclear, like a nuclear breakdown mm -hmm. or a chemical spill. The animals, if they are a very rare animal and they are endemic to a certain location, you, you cannot just go in and take them out and put them in another facility because the temperature, they have grown, uh, they have evolved over thousands of generations to a particular climate or even a microclimate. Mm -hmm. So when you remove them, they do go into shock. Uh, they don't get used to the new environmental factors. So what I can do now with my tank is I can put a probe at the rescue site and replicate the same weather, the same microclimate in a satellite facility, a satellite rescue facility. Brilliant. So that's, it's so exciting, this, mm. this tank project, yes. And I assume over time, you could even envision this happening on a much larger scale, where as opposed to a tank, you could do this in some sort of biosphere or something. Yes, yes. Um, uh, definitely can do it in a biosphere. Uh, definitely we can replicate and mimic the weather. But we also um, working with the idea of climate change. We, we know that the, the animals uh, are going through climate change as well. So the actual environment they are in is actually getting warmer and warmer. Now, um, let's say if you are on a subsection of a subsection of a hill, like a highland, like Genting or Cameron's. Now, with global warming, the animals need to migrate uh, higher up in elevation to live in the uh, to live in the uh, zone, the, the temperature zone that they're used to and the temperature that they're used to. However, botany doesn't evolve or is not as mobile as animals. They can't just move with the animals. Now, if the animals move up to be cool and comfortable, the plants can't move up mm. as fast mm. as them. Right. But we also know that the, the plants and the animals need to live together for them to continue their um, symbiotic relationship. The, the animals help the plants and the plants help the animals. Uh, in, they have evolved to depend on each other to survive. But as so, you're saying, the, the animals can rather quickly move up in levels, whereas the plants can take eons to actually... Longer time to get up yeah, there. Yeah. But the, the animals, even if they can go up, they, they don't have the plants to sustain them once mm -hmm. they move up to that zone. Right. So um, even if I can make this tank, it might be too late for some species that are on what we refer to as a shoestring biodiversity. Is that, that if you study a certain elevation, you will find that certain species of animals and plants only appear on this shoestring cloud humid biodiversity. And that's why Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and Cameron Highlands are so vulnerable to global warming because they have a very specific set of biodiversity that is only endemic to this elevation. Wow. 
it sounds fascinating, and I can't see. I can't wait to see what uh, what the future of this holds. It's uh, and and as you said, it's it's a it's a first of its kind in the world, right? Yeah, it's the first of its kind tank in the world. I've I've done research on it. Um, so far, nobody anywhere in the world I know of is working on a prototype, and I'm also wondering whether we can backlog the weather climate up to 20 years, up to 100 years, up to 200 years ago, and we replicate that weather just to save a few species. Um, many zoos and uh, aquatic institutions that breed rare and endangered animals, they don't have this kind of system in place where they can replicate the exact weather of the endemic location where the specimen comes from but it's specific animal comes from. And I'm trying to build this technology and offer it all the other wildlife um, protection and breeding programs, assurance population programs, and to share this technology with them. Cool. All right, one last time before we go here is uh, just to remind people how to get in touch and how to uh, how to take part in the things that you guys do. The best way to do that, I suppose, is your Facebook page at the moment. Yes, the best one is the Facebook page and through our WhatsApp hotline, which is listed on the Facebook page, WhatsApp us and I'll talk back to you, attend to all the inquiries, all the questions. And yeah, our, and if you want to come and attend our workshops, just make a reservation or a booking through the WhatsApp page, a WhatsApp hotline. And yeah, and um, in, in, uh, I, 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 on Saturday, the 22nd, and see the butterfly release. Right. Once again, that's uh, this a week from today, Saturday, 22nd of January, at the link in, yes. in KL. Is there a time that that will begin? Yes, um, we're doing the release at 11 a.m. Okay, so people ought to get there a little bit earlier before that. And 11 a.m. is fine. I love the idea that you said you're going to attempt a release because I, I can see the opening and then the butterflies just kind of hang out and go, nah, it's okay, we're cool, we'll stay here. <laughs> yeah, um, it, we, 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 we cannot, so we, we can predict a percentage of what um, sentient beings, animals, I prefer to call them sentient beings, um, might do or might not do. Right. But and at the end of the day, it's up to them. It's up to them. It's up to them, like, do I want to? Oh. <laughs> uh, some of them might, some of them might not, but we'll see what happens. As it should be, I suppose, huh? Yep. Yeah, indeed. All right, Darren Chow, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, we will continue to uh, to promote your event on Saturday and the project itself, because I think it's it's doing gangbuster good things, uh, especially uh, for educating our kids, uh, which is where it all begins, I think. Our generation might not, everybody might not have, uh, have had the opportunities, but if we can give them to the kids today, we'll raise a generation that... Uh, Hopefully, you'd be a lot smarter than some of us were. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. The planet doesn't have, we don't have a lot of planet left to save. Ah, there you go. Well said. All right, Darren, thank you so much once again, and we will, uh, we will talk to you soon, and uh, we'll continue to let people know about uh, your amazing project. Okay. Good night, Jay. Thank you so much. All right, Darren, thanks again. I wanted this one. There we go. Darren Chow, thank you so much for uh, for taking part in the show tonight. That was fantastic. It's um, it's just an amazing project, and uh, I really do encourage you to check it out and to find out more. And, of course, like I said, this coming Saturday, a week from today, at the link. Uh, and, like, again, I know our audience is in the, all kinds of parts of the world, so you're not able to attend this. Um, if you're in Malaysia, by all means, please, wherever you might be, get yourselves uh, over there. <clears throat> but you can check out their Facebook page. You can do what you can to help support the project. And uh, 
let people know about it. So again, it's uh, the link is in our show notes tonight. The description down below is our show notes. And the, uh, the very top link, if I'm not mistaken, is um, in today's show is uh, the link to the Chrysalis Project. So I hope that you will take some time and, and check that out because uh, <clears throat> well worth your moments. All right. And as a matter of fact, here, I can, uh, I can show you. Can I? Yeah, I can. You just got to give me a second to, uh, to do some technical stuff here. There we go. Nah. <laughs> that's the, uh, the, the Chrysalis Project MY, and uh, that's what you will see if you head over there, and you can find out all that information. It's at the link in Ampung. And uh, they've got some great posts and some, you know, even if you're not in Malaysia, this is a cool site. And uh, you can uh, you can check that out for the Chrysalis Project. Thanks, Darren. Uh, all right. We're going to get on to a couple of the headlines that we put in our thumbnail tonight. Some of the links you'll find besides the Chrysalis Project. Some of the strange and unusual things that caught my eye this past few days. I can't even believe I'm doing this. <laughs> oh, man. The good folks at the World of Buzz, once again, links in the show notes. Malaysians are shocked at the African trend. Am I really going to say this? Of injecting stock cubes in your butt for apparently a bigger and rounder buttocks. Now look, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV, and I don't pretend to give you medical advice. But I think I'm pretty solid, safe, if I tell you don't put stock cubes in your butt. This is a legit story. The rise of social media has damaged the way people see themselves and what they should aspire to look like. Especially harder for women, the article says, who are often bombarded by posts telling them what the perfect body looks like. A doctor from Nigeria has recently advised the public to abstain from putting stock cubes in their anuses. The user named at first doctor with two R's posted a thread on Twitter, which has since gone viral. And this is the post. Stop putting Maggie in your butt. It doesn't, uh, it's extremely harmful and it doesn't work. You know what? First of all, it doesn't work. Iodized salt, monosodium glutamate, and all the other ingredients found in stock cubes do not increase the fat or muscle bulk in your backside in any way. It's a myth, so stop <laughs> deceiving. You. you know what? I'm not even going to keep continue. If you want to read this article, you go to World of Buzz. The link's in the show notes, and check it out. Because if you're stupid enough... To think that would work, then you go right ahead. You do you. Knock yourself out. I can't believe I actually put this on the show. Oh, man. All right. Uh, another I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV article I saw. Again, thank you, World of Buzz. Links in the show notes if you want to read the whole article. I encourage you to do that. But here we go. Researchers have discovered that compounds in cannabis can actually fight off COVID-19. I'm not, I'm just putting it out there. This is a, I read this in more than one website. This is the one particular from uh, World of Buzz. Cannabis, if you're not familiar, is marijuana, pot, whatever you call it these days. I'm an old man, so we used to call it pot. Um, in a study that was done by Oregon State University researchers, not a small research facility, 
seems there are some compounds in, can in cannabis that is effective in fighting off COVID-19. Uh, the study was called Cinnabinoids Block Cellular Entry of SARS-CoV-2 and the Emerging Variants. It was published by the Journal of Natural Products, which is a peer-reviewed journal. And these researchers discovered two cannabinoid acids uh, that usually found in hemp that can attach themselves to the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 cell. You know, all across America, marijuana, cannabis, pot, is not much more than a parking ticket, and in fact, in a lot of places, virtually legal. Uh, it ought to be. I've always maintained that it should be. It's a perfectly natural thing. Sadly, the government, the CIA, whoever the hell was involved back in the days of, ooh, the deadly drug epidemics, mar you know, put that out there as being, you know, the devil's weed and all that crap, and other people in other parts of the world just picked up on it. Uh, we still here in Malaysia, although I believe the health department is at least considering, if not has already approved, the use of medical marijuana, which is brilliant. Thank you for at least trying to step in maybe the last century. You know, forget about this one, at least come up into the last century. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the main researcher, Richard Beeman, said the compounds were abundant in hemp. Uh, if you don't know, hemp is the same species as cannabis, but it contains very low levels of THC, which is the psychoactive ingredient that causes you to get high when you smoke marijuana. Hemp, also a cannabis, but not the same as a marijuana plant. Not controlled substances like THC, the psychoactive ingredient, and uh, have a good public safety profile in humans, according to Van Bremen. I am not recommending this. I am not a doctor. Whatever your treatments may be, you check with your doctor first before you do anything. But it is a very interesting article. Another stake in the coffin, another nail in the coffin to get rid of the ridiculous laws we have against cannabis and... Uh, yeah, check it out. The link is in our show notes tonight. It's very cool, very cool article. And uh, might uh, might change your mind about some things. Cool beans. All right, what else have we got? I think we got one more before we close things out for tonight. And that, I saw this from uh, Curbed.com. Again, link's in the show notes, so check it out. And uh, it is from my hometown. I was born... 64 years ago, today, at what, 5.23 in the morning, I think, um, in, uh, in Torrington, Connecticut, because that's where the hospital was, which was about 20 minutes outside of my little Kampong hometown of Cornwall, Connecticut, which, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, when I lived in Cornwall, there was a population of about 1,200 people. It was very, very small town, which I loved. It still ain't a big place. But check this out. We have some of the coolest stuff in Cornwall. This is what's known as the Cornwall Castle. Uh, and a rather unusual house hit the market once again. It is a castle, and it sits at the end of a mile-long private driveway on 275 forested acres and includes an FAA-certified helipad. Look at this. This is amazing. This is the castle that is in my hometown. It has, look at that, look at this. All it, it doesn't have a moat. That's the only disappointing thing about this. The Cornwall Castle, as it's called, dreamt up during the 1920s by New York socialite Charlotte Bronson Hunnewell Martin, who had a bit of a thing for manifesting architectural fantasies. Uh, you can read the whole article here. It's posted in our show notes, and there are some amazing pictures from inside. Look at uh, look at this. Look at that huge fireplace. Again, if you're listening on the podcast, please do check out the link in our show notes. Um, it was sold back in 2019 for 1.6 million. It's had a ton of work done to it. Look at this formal dining room with those wood paneled walls. Wow. 
amazing. I can only imagine that price has probably gone up, what, 10, 20 fold by now? They've done work on the grounds. They've restored. Look at that kitchen. Who wouldn't want to cook in that place, huh? Look at this. There's some of the exterior, the driveway leading up. And the last shot here, there are also caretaker cottages on the properties. Absolutely beautiful. Nice little swimming pool here. I mean, this has everything. You're living in a castle. And there you go. There's an overlook pretty much of the grounds of the castle. Let's see if we can pop that up. There you go. Check that out. You got the uh, the main castle here. Uh, there's like a gatekeeper's cottage and a groundskeeper's cottage. But look at that and all that land. You don't really have to worry much about noisy neighbors <laughs> if you live in the Cornwall Castle. That is amazing. Yeah, that's that's my hometown. But then again, if you, if you look at it, you can tell this is the kind of, you know, you have it may not be a castle, but your house is usually separated by what, four, five, ten kilometers before your next neighbor? Uh, that's often the case back in, uh, in my hometown in Cornwall. All right. Uh, just before we close things out tonight, and again, we will get back to Tom Sawyer in our next episode on Monday night. Um, <laughs> I just want to thank all the hundreds of people who posted on my Facebook, sent me WhatsApp and Messenger messages, of uh, wishing me a, a happy birthday today. It really, really meant a lot. I thank you so much. I wish I had the time and Facebook would even let me. It stops, the algorithms don't let me or the, the system doesn't let me keep replying to everybody. I try to reply as many as I can. But uh, I publicly just wanted to say thank you to everybody who, uh, who sent me a message today on what is the unbelievable 64th anniversary of my of my existence on this planet. <laughs> I think this summed it up really well. Alvin posted this. Thank you, Alvin. Not to me. It was just a post. But C.S. Lewis said this, and it is exactly kind of what's going through my head today. Isn't it funny how day by day, Nothing changes, but when you look back, everything is different. That just about says it all. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see you on Monday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. Until then, oh, thanks to Darren Chow again also for a great interview on the Chrysalis Project. Check it out, please. Links in the show notes. I'll see you Monday. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night.